fifth Sunday of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting. We wait to, for God to send divine love and light into our dark world. Does this, this happen? Okay. <laughs> and I'm not going to hold up Heather. Anyone's wondering. <laughs> God's light comes through Jesus, who became a human being just like you and I, so that he could show us the way back to God's divine and Love and light. Good job. Good job. Okay. I am. Purify us, O oh God, by your daily visitation, so that when your Son, Jesus Christ, comes, he will find in us a mansion prepared for himself. We thank you for this time of waiting. We thank you that our time of waiting for Jesus is almost over. May we await the light of the world with joyful anticipation through Christ our Lord. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Then Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means... Death is ice with ice us. Us. Our time of waiting is almost over. Blessed are we who with Joseph of Nazareth have faith that Jesus will bring God's love to us. May we pray for the light of Christ to shine brightness over and into our dark world. May the word become flesh and dwell among us. Say amen. Amen. Amen.
coming of Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to prepare for his coming, for all that you have done in sending Christ to be among us. We pray that our worship today would honor you and would lead us to deeper faith in you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Morning, how are you? Morning. How you doing, man? Thank you. Morning. Hi, Dave. Morning, Brenda. How are you? Hey, Bob. It's great to see you as we uh, gather for worship on this fourth Sunday of Advent. It seems a little bit hard to believe that we are getting so close to Christmas, but it's a, it's a great celebration, and we're glad that uh, you are here and a part of this time of worship today. There are a few things that I just want to mention in the bulletin. Uh, you'll note the, uh, the Christmas Eve services, which will be Saturday, uh, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And uh, the services are, are similar, but the uh, 5 o'clock service has a, will have a time for children and uh, a little bit more geared to families. But uh, we'd love to have you a part of either or both of those services, 5 to, and 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, because of the holiday, there will not be any Wednesday evening activities the next few weeks, so just note that. And next Sunday morning, as well as the following two Sunday mornings, we'll uh, gather for one worship service at 10 o'clock. Uh, there are a number of prayer concerns that are in the bulletin. Um, I want to, to add to what is here a um, couple of situations in our world. You may have seen the storm that hit the Philippines and there have been uh, 500 people at least who are dead because of that and certainly uh, a reason for us to pray. Also, as our troops have pulled out of Iraq, there is still a lot of uncertainty in that nation. To pray for the leaders of that country for, for peace to come uh, in a very difficult circumstance. And also, I uh, want to pray for uh, Hannah Jennings, uh, Bob and Rosalind daughter's grand, uh, Bob and Rosalind Danner's granddaughter, and uh, she had an accident with a, a table saw uh, Friday night, and uh, is doing relatively well. But I know would appreciate our prayers. And uh, Hannah is also a college student, and also for Elise Warren. Um, and we want to be Ruth Boone's, Boone's granddaughter who had a ruptured appendix and has had some difficulties with infection and things is in the hospital and certainly would appreciate our prayers. And there are other concerns as we come together. And uh, we know that God is, is the one who cares about every one of our needs and is with us and is at work in us.
morning's Old Testament reading is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. See, I will send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty.
Please remain standing as the ushers are forward to take your tithes and offerings, and children ages 2 to 5 can be dismissed for Children's Church.
As we do so, if you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Our God of love and joy, of grace and mercy. The God who came into the world to a human mother in that little town of Bethlehem. We bow before you today. We thank you for the gift of your son and for all of the gifts that you give to us. Father, we're asking today that you will continue to teach us to live in the sensitivity and awareness of your presence in our lives. Forgive us when anxiety and fear close our hearts off to you and to each other. And help us to live in such great freedom through Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us to live in the kind of humility that we see in Christ. Take away our false pride and our sense of self-importance so that we can live openly toward others and so that we can, we can relate to one another in a spirit of compassion and forgiveness and grace and love. Like the little town of Bethlehem that was an undeserving and unsuspecting home for Christ's birth. Let us be so open to you and to your work in this world that we find you using us in surprising and amazing ways. Father, we want to be people who worship you every day, in every way, in every place. in the places where poverty is so evident, in the tables of the hungry, the bedsides of the sick, in the excited faces of little children, in the halls of power, in the rooms of our homes. Father, today as we come with many burdens and concerns, we pray that you will comfort those who mourn, We pray that you will heal everyone who is struggling with illness and pain. We pray that you will mend the lives that are broken and the relationships that have been torn apart. Father, we pray for this world. We pray for the people of this world who suffer. We pray for places of the world where violence and war is commonplace and we ask that you will bring healing that you will bring your spirit to bear in every nation and the leaders of every nation and in your church present 
in every nation. Father, we ask all of this through Christ Jesus, the incarnate babe, the suffering servant, the risen Lord, the coming king, and the one who teaches us how prayer is summarized in the words that we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I invite you to stand for the reading from the gospel. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One (coughs) to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was to be who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. Why don't you guys take communion at the end? What do you do when you sense God calling you to something that is so far beyond yourself that you can't really fathom it? What do you do when you hear God telling you that he's going to take you places that in your mind are inconceivable? What do you do when you sense God prompting you to take such a leap of faith that... um, It just seems completely out of your reach. What do you do? What do you say? How do you respond? I'm convinced that these kinds of experiences with God are watershed, monumental moments in our lives. Moments that can make us or break us. Moments that can set a direction for our lives on which everything that follows is built. It's this kind of experience that confronts Mary in the passage we just read a few moments ago from the first chapter of Luke's gospel. An angel appears to her with a word so inconceivable that she's completely overwhelmed. Not because it's a prophecy to dread, it's the most amazing prophecy anyone could ever speak, but because it's so big so monumental, so unbelievable. It's, it's exciting, confusing, and frightening all at the same time. One truth that we learn from the activity of God in the birth of Christ is that God loves to use human beings in his amazing plans. In fact, it's always God's first option in revealing himself to this world and of working in this world. God involves us in plans, even though his plans are so far beyond our ability to grasp and even believe. God's plans often push us to new heights, new places, new roles, new tasks, new journeys. Even though embarking on these heights and places and tasks and roles and journeys might scare us to death and leave us bewildered. We tend to live with the view of God that he will never push us beyond what we're able to understand or comprehend or reconcile or process to our satisfaction. We tend to believe that God won't put us in a position of vulnerability, of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty. And we are wrong. If the scriptures teach us anything, if the drama of the nativity teaches us anything, is that God loves, God truly loves to put us in uncomfortable positions, to push us into mysterious places, to lead us down uncertain paths, to call us to unreasonable and sometimes, as we see it, irresponsible tasks. Because God wants more for us than status quo, than mediocrity. God loves to challenge us because in these challenges, 
In these uncertain and mysterious places, we are forced to rely on him. And when we rely totally on God, we're in a place to be fully blessed by God. But we tend to like mediocrity. We tend to like safe. We tend to like controlled. We tend to like like thinking about life in a way that's manageable and fair and safe. I can't begin to put into words how I felt 16 years ago when I received a phone call from Paul Young asking me if I might have any interest in talking with him about the senior pastor position of the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Now, I I had never been to Houghton, but I knew a little bit about the Houghton Wesleyan Church. It certainly was different than the two churches I had served up to that point. I knew that people in this church were far more educated than I I knew that this was a fairly prestigious church in our denomination. And I wanted to say to him, are you sure you have the right guy? Are you sure you realize you're talking to Wes Oden in Rice Lake, Wisconsin? Maybe you need to check your list again. Maybe you dialed the wrong number. I mean, I was overwhelmed. And honestly, my initial response was to say, no. I mean, whole church is beyond me. That, that's too much. And where I am is safe and, and it's comfortable and it's manageable. Obviously, I didn't say that. Thanks in no small part to Cindy's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. The fear of getting myself into the unknown, into something that would stretch me that much, seems so daunting and so impossible that I was tempted to not even try to just play it safe. After almost 16 years, and I'm not going to speak for all of you, but I can't describe how happy and grateful we are that I didn't allow us to keep from experiencing something God had for us. I've had the opportunity, even though it's been sometimes challenging and sometimes a struggle, had the opportunity to participate in things I would have never dreamed of participating in. I've grown and matured in ways that I never would have if I hadn't been here. But I'm still susceptible to playing it safe. Still susceptible to putting God in my little box of comfortable and explainable, controllable and manageable. And I suspect you wrestle with that too. So many of God's plans seem like just too much for us. We're frightened and confused when God works in ways that are beyond us. But if we're going to be prepared for the coming of God into our lives, and if we're going to be prepared for, to see God at work in our world, then we have to be willing to let God work outside the boundaries that we tend to set up for him. Outside the categories in which we tend to place him. And nothing challenges us to this mindset like the incarnation. The God who is too great and mighty to be limited by anything now chooses to limit himself to the flesh and blood of humanity. It prompts us to ask the same question that Mary does. How can this be? At first glance, it's simply a question of how in the world could a virgin bear a child? But perhaps it's it's, it's a deeper question too. And you sort of get a sense of that by the way in which the angel responds. Maybe it's 
How in the world could God become human? How could it be that God would desire to become human? What in the world is going on with this God that we had figured out, that we had put into a nice neat package and wrapped in a bow? Are you telling me that Yahweh El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the heavenly armies, is going to be born a baby? We tend to understand this wonderment as sort of, could God be that small? But actually it begs the question, is God that big? I'm convinced that the root of our struggle with the incarnation is that we possess not too big a view of God, but a view of God that is far too small. When our image of God is too small, then his commands look like suggestions. And his calling feels negotiable. His dreams for us seem untenable. And we see him as sort of a doting grandfather who would never do anything to frighten us or challenge us or put us at risk. And yet the drama of the nativity is filled with the awesomeness of God, the power of God, the risk-taking character of God. The bigger, greater image of God who would humble himself in human flesh. All the people of the story, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, the shepherds and the magi, all of them are filled with the wonder and, and with fear when they encounter the presence and the plan of God. They're all pushed to places they have no vocabulary to explain. They're all challenged with ideas. They have no framework to comprehend. It's the theme woven throughout the whole thing. The Almighty God is using me to do something so fantastic, so amazing, so transformational, I can't really comprehend it. And the angel responds, I know this all sounds incredible, but it's God's plan. It's it's God's doing. It's God's word. And no word from God will ever fail. Since the beginning of 2011, our church has taken seriously God's command, be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) 17 babies have been born to our congregation in this calendar year. And actually, there are quite a few people who are expecting children in 2012. It's an amazing thing. God has blessed us. It's awesome, these gifts. I was thinking about that the other day, and and I realized that every one of those babies takes us back to Bethlehem. Because the birth in Bethlehem is not some magical appearance of a superhero from another planet who crash lands on earth. This is a real pregnancy, morning sickness and cravings. This is real labor, contractions and pain, pushing, midwives, blood and placenta and umbilical cord and little lungs screaming for milk. Nothing could be more jarring, more confusing, more inconceivable, and more frightening to the people of first century Palestine than to think of God born of a human mother. And yet here he is, flesh and blood, cooing and crying, messing his diaper, surviving only because of his mother's breast. God in 
flesh. The core of the incarnation is also the core of the Eucharist, of communion. God loves creation. God loves to feed us and teach us through his creation. And communion is the celebration of God in flesh and blood. God mysteriously active and present in the bread and the cup. But we don't really understand the the presence, the essence, the power of incarnation or of communion if it doesn't move us to daily, moment-by-moment surrender of ourselves to Christ. If we come and and we receive, but we don't do so in the spirit of surrender to Christ, then the power of the sacrament is nullified. Not because we have some kind of power over it, but because our hearts are cold and stony and unwilling to receive it. That doesn't mean we have to in some way be worthy or, or, or good enough or special enough to come to the table. It does mean, however, that our lives are open to God. To the mystery of his ways and his power and his presence. Whether we fully understand it and can fully explain it or not. We don't want to miss the essence of the impact of Mary's response to the angel. I am the Lord's servant. Or as J.B. Phillips has it. I belong to the Lord body and soul. This word we translate servant is talking about being a slave. And to be a slave is not just an occupation or an attitude. It's a way of life. Slavery is who you are, not what you do. It's the complete bending of one's will to the will of the master. Mary's not forced to be a slave. She chooses to be a slave. She chooses to give up her rights. She chooses to be passive putty in Yahweh's hands. She chooses to trust that being a servant of Yahweh is better than being free on her own. And eventually because her heart is open to God, because her mind is set on God, because her life is all about God, then even though she doesn't really understand it, Even though she's confused and perplexed and frightened about what all this is going to mean for her, she says, okay, my life is all about Yahweh. And if this is Yahweh's plan and he wants me to be a part of it, then I'm in. I'm all the way in. Christmas is worshiping a God who cannot, who will not be limited by human reasoning, by human plans and logic by human space and time and concept. Christmas is about a God who loves to circumvent and ridicule the boxes and the concepts into which we continually love to place him. So if our box is tradition, God talks about new things. If our box is all about the contemporary, God declares that he does not change. If our box is about people who fit our theological framework or our political ideology, God uses those who think differently from us to teach us lessons and to humble us and to work in us and to transform us. If our box is success as perfection, God allows defeat and trials and difficulties in order for us to help help us focus on his faithfulness. Surrendering to Christ, being the Lord's servant, his slave, means that our life is no longer our own. All of our decisions are his. All of our relationships are his. 
All that we do with our leisure time is his. All that we do at work is his. We treat people the way he does, with humility and love and patience and forgiveness and honesty. And where he leads, we go. Even if he leads to difficult, unknown, confusing, unexplainable, and mysterious places. This is the call of Christmas. This is the call of discipleship. Which is why it's also the call of the table of our Lord. Coming to the table to eat and drink is both a sign of our desire to surrender and it's grace and strength to surrender. It's not about church membership. It's not about whatever grand claims we may make about Christ. It's about openness of heart and mind and life to Christ. It's surrendering ourselves to his unorthodox, confusing, frightening, amazing ways. It's declaring with our words, our attitudes, our actions, I am the Lord's servant, his slave, and I am happy to be so. This is the call of God in the Garden of Eden, in the exodus from Egypt, in the kingdom of David, in the words of the prophet, in the Bethlehem manger, in the cross of Calvary, in the empty tomb for all eternity. Christmas, the Christ child, calls us to the same response as Mary. To trust, to believe, to accept, to be a slave of him who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. To believe that the awesome, uncontrollable, mysterious, all-powerful God is always safe to surrender our lives to. Who can truly explain or comprehend the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God? Can't explain how that happens. And Mary can't either. It's a mystery that's beyond all of us. Nevertheless, we believe we trust, we surrender. And in faith, we declare what Mary does. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you want, I'm yours. Please bow in prayer with me for a moment of silence. Father, hear hear our desire to surrender to you. Hear us as we join together in the prayer of confession. Please pray with me the prayer printed in your bulletin.
Heavenly Father, we know that you are the great God of all. You are king over all, and of your kingdom there is no end. As we ebb ever closer to the celebration of your son's birth, forgive our attempts to limit you and our desires to domesticate you. Forgive us for ever imagining that we might manipulate or control you. Through Christ, help us to see your greatness and power. Open our eyes to the truth that you are far beyond us. Help us to understand that you are the Holy One for whom nothing is impossible. Fill us with faith that trusts you at every turn, in every moment, about everything. And in our trusting, overwhelm us with the joy and blessing of the Christ child. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, in this season when we celebrate the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise. You created all things and called them good. You made us in your own image. And even though we rebelled against your love, you did not desert us. You delivered us from captivity and made your covenant to be our sovereign God. You spoke to us through prophets who looked for that day when justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nation shall no longer lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Therefore, with the prophets and all who have looked for a better age to come, with your people in all ages and the whole company of heaven, we join the song of unending praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Holy is your name, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to be a light to the nations. You scatter the proud in the imaginations of their hearts and have mercy on those who fear you from generation to generation. You put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt those of low degree. Your own son came among us as a servant to be Emmanuel, your presence with us. He humbled himself in obedience to your will and freely accepted death on a cross. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from captivity to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant. As we remember all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we ask you to accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a holy and living surrender of ourselves. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ. We may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood, that we may faithfully together serve him in this world. 
And that we may look forward to that day foretold by prophets and apostles. When the one who came in humility and who comes today in word and spirit shall come again in final victory. In him we pray. Amen. On the night that he met with his disciples, on the night he was, before he was crucified, Jesus took bread and gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction, means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we are happy to serve you. If trays will serve you in your row, just simply indicate that to the usher as your row is released and we will come and serve you. If you'd like to stay and pray at the altar after you've received communion, please feel free to do so. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit different as we're taking communion. We're going to receive the elements in silence. But we're also going to be projecting images on the screen. We're having a little trouble with this projector this morning. Hopefully it will work. But we're going to be projecting images on the screen of the nativity, of art through history. And it's just one more way to contemplate God in flesh and blood. Come among us miraculously, powerfully to redeem us. May God bless each of us as we come and receive. I always like to mention that we practice open communion through Wesleyan Church. This may be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God and with a desire to surrender to God, you are wholeheartedly invited to come and to receive these gifts from our gracious and loving Heavenly Father.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.